Today I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read God's word. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Hereth. David was on the run. He had ended up in Gath here at the end of the last chapter, pretending to have lost his mind. When it was clear that he wasn't going to be safe in Gath, David left and escaped to a cave near the city of Adullam. If uh, being crazy wasn't a low point, then escaping to try to take shelter in a cave surely is a further step down and surely the lowest that maybe we could get. I don't know about you, but I've never experienced terror like this. It would make me try to find a place that I could hide, even in a cave. It may have been that it was more common in the days of David, but there are things that distress the world today so that they flee their homes. It may be even in our minds today as there is war around the world where people have to flee and try to take refuge any place they can, even if it be in a cave. And David has finally found shelter in a cave near the city of Adullam. We'll find that this marks something of a turning point for David. In his fear, he has seemed to have lost sight of the Lord God Almighty and all of his promises. And we could surely identify with, with him in this. For we too know what, what it is to go through trials. We know what it is to suffer both physical and spiritual fear. We also know what it means to fail being what God has called us to be or falling into grievous sin, just as David had. As Paul describes the Corinthian church, we find it easier to walk by sight rather than walking by faith. But the cave of Adullam does mark something of a turning point for David. And the text is going to show some of that turning point. From here on out, we see David coming back into Israel, coming back to Judah, coming back into roles of leadership, listening to the word of God, and obeying that word of God. Because David finds out that though his faith was sorely tested, that the Lord had not abandoned him. 
In fact, God had work for David to do. His fearful flight had led him to humble himself before the Lord. And so today I want to consider what contributed to this turning. And I'll call your attention to four factors that are alluded to uh, both here in the text and from the psalm that he wrote as he looks back on his fearful flight, Psalm 34. So four factors that contribute to the turning point, something of a renewal of faith in David. First of all, in the cave, David found spiritual renewal through meditation or by reflecting back on what God had done. Now, I mentioned last week that David wrote several psalms about this time, this period of his life, and that Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 seem to be reflections back on, on his, his, his being reduced to pretending that he was a crazy man and fleeing from not only Saul, but the king of Gath, and finally to this cave. He had been reduced from enjoying the praises of the people, the privileges of his position, to being a slobbering fool and hiding now in a cave. In this case, David pauses now and reflects on his situation. And most commentators suggest that it is within this cave that Psalm, that, that Psalm 34 was written by David. And it is an incredible psalm to look at because it begins to speak more clearly of the conclusions that David comes to, conclusions about how the Lord was with him, delivering him, even though it was hard for him to see it when he was in the midst of it. And it was hard for him to see beyond the fear of his very own life. And in reflecting back and meditating on the promises of God, he is able to conclude that the Lord was faithful. And in concluding that, he's able to say that, that the Lord had delivered me even though I was on the run. And as I look at my own life, I have to confess that I all too often rush from one trial to the next and to the next, from one solution to another that, that I've concocted to try to work my way out of this situation. And as I rush from one thing to the next, I barely pay any attention at all to what God would have me to do. And I'm embarrassed to say that it seems like I finally come to the end of my rope and I, it's then that I say, well, I guess I ought to pray about this. As if it's the last resort. When it ought to be the first resort. And it ought to be part of every aspect of confronting that trial. And as I look at this situation, I see that I and we have something in common with David. For David faced what's much worse than I did, and he did cry out to God. 
And I've noticed how his faith and his fear are all mixed up together. So let me remind you of, of the faith that he does express. He goes to Samuel, the prophet of God, to Jonathan, a representative of the king, to Ahimelech, the priest, to inquire after God. These are expressions of his faith, but it is mixed with fear. And so his decisions are often influenced by that fear. And he comes to some devastating conclusions, conclusions that lead him down a path and into dark places. But here in the cave, David pauses to reflect on his situation, and he comes to this conclusion that he voices in Psalm 34. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now, you read the previous three or four chapters, and you might find it hard-pressed to use the word blessed to describe David in those situations. I know I shudder to ask for such a blessing to be running from an enemy for my life, to be so caught up in fear that I can't see or remember that God is indeed ruling over this. So in the, in the midst of it, I can say, God is blessed. I am blessed in this situation. But that's David's conclusion. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. It leads us to conclusions about our life as well. Through David, we learn that God doesn't desert us in our affliction. He is there every step of the way. He is present and he is using it for his own purposes, purposes that are glorifying to him and that also are ministering to us as his people. He uses moments like this to humble you. He uses moments like this so that you can say with David, like Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. I hope you notice that David doesn't say, uh, I sought the Lord and I had no troubles. I sought the Lord and I had no fears. I sought the Lord and I had prosperity all of my life. No, he says, I sought the Lord and he was with me. He addressed my fears. He delivered me. We can reach into the New Testament as well. And as David's hope is in the Lord and in his Christ, in his Redeemer, in the New Testament, we see that even more clearly. I'm reminded of what Paul learned as he suffered trials and afflictions when he suffered what he called a thorn in his flesh, he asked God to deliver him. He even says, I prayed 
three times for deliverance. But God's answer was this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. By faith, Paul came to say, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest, rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Those are words that just make you scratch your head at times. I take pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. And it's meditating and reflecting on Christ in us, Christ in you, that leads you to this conclusion that God has a purpose for this. And his strength is shown in your weakness. By way of application, uh, let me urge you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's a phrase that has, has come to be used to mean remind yourself day after day that Christ is your mediator, your savior. See, the gospel is not just about your conversion and coming to him as if that was the only encounter that you have with Jesus. No, it is every day that you encounter the grace of God, the mercy of the Lord in Jesus Christ. It is every day that you depend on that. And as you reflect on that as you meditate on it. It is a preaching of the gospel to yourself every day. For every day you depend on that. And as you realize that, your faith is nurtured and begins to shine even more brightly in a dark place. And so preach the gospel to yourself every day. Take time to meditate on the promises of God and on your redemption. A second factor that marks this turning point for David, he was renewed by other counselors. His brothers and his father's house came to him, as did the prophet Gad. David was on the run, and he was stripped of family and friends. He left the nation of Israel, so he was separated from the word of God and from the worship of God. No longer could he go to the tabernacle and worship there. That was something that he longs for, and he expresses in other psalms. When he can't go, his heart pants for this. And the consequences of such isolation can be seen in the way that his fear began to dominate his decisions. And once again, let me pause here and apply this to you. When you withdraw from God's word, when you 
withdraw from godly friends and counselors, when you are isolated from the word of God and from his, uh, from his people, then don't be surprised that you find your heart growing cold to the things of the Lord. Don't be surprised to find that you experience fear and indecision that are accompanied by outbursts of panic and anger and other such sins. Now, fear and trials come to all of us, and uh, there's an aspect of fear that, uh, well, we were talking about it over lunch last week, an aspect of fear that, that is proper, that does not have sin in it. But when you're isolated from God, when you're isolated from the people of God and the word of God, that fear very quickly turns into, into sinful panic and a doubting of the presence of God and of his power and his promises. Instead, it involves uh, an important aspect of resisting the temptation to isolate yourself from the Lord because God has wisely and mercifully set us in a community of faith. He is the one who has has given us a people of God in which we live and, and, and we grow and we encourage one another as we face different things. I'm preparing for the uh, an adult Sunday school class on some of the nature of the church that will begin next week. I've been reading a book by Sinclair Ferguson where he says this about the church. Being a Christian is not an individualistic or isolated activity. Believing also involves belonging. Believing also involves belonging. Being a Christian, says Ferguson, by definition involves belonging to the church. And in David's case, God sent his family to be with him. And God sent his prophet to speak to him. And this community of faith nurtures David in his time of need. And David was refreshed in the Lord. And you can hear that in Psalm 34. If you look back at Psalm 34, David speaks directly to those around him. Verse 9, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And in verse 9, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And in verse 8, he invites others to taste and see that the Lord is good. Those trusting in him are blessed. So think of those that the Lord had gathered around David there at the cave of Adullam and then in Moab, and you'll find this community of faith that David begins to speak to. And he begins to, uh, uh, to, to do the work that God had in mind for him to do. Part of that work was the work of a prophet himself to begin to declare that faith in the Lord is absolutely necessary for us, that faith in that coming Messiah was our only hope in this life, and that we may indeed trust in him. So if you find yourself today that you are dry in spirit, 
If you find today that you are mired in fear, I urge you to resist the temptation to isolate yourself. Instead, cry out to God and seek the fellowship of godly friends and the context of the fellowship of the church. There's a second factor here. David was renewed by preparation for the future. Preparation for the future that was uh, was a current expression of the gifts and the calling that God had for him. I've already alluded to some of this. The Lord gave him work to do to speak to those around him, to speak the lessons that he was learning about faith, about persevering in that faith and how it leads to endurance. And not only did David's family gather around him, but there were others too. The text says everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to David. And so he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. The picture that probably comes to your mind Well, there may be two pictures that come to mind. One of them may make you smile. The one that uh, was described around our breakfast table was Robin Hood and his merry men. (laughs) Uh, The the story of Robin Hood and and those that were his uh, his compatriots as he ran from Prince John. But... um, Another thing that might come to your mind is has has in mind something more militaristic. David gathering around himself mercenaries and malcontents, those that he would lead in something of a guerrilla warfare back in Israel. Actually, Robin Hood is a little more true to the the case than this other militaristic. Because what we see here in those that come to David are those who are, are suffering much like David had suffered, suffering the oppression and injustice of the king of Israel, King Saul. I've made a a big deal about how Saul used his position unrighteously. And he abused that position and he abused the law itself to try to hunt down David. That wasn't the first time Saul had acted that way. Remember, we'd already seen this developing where Saul would take things to himself that didn't belong to him. And he began to oppress the soldiers and put commands upon them that were unjust and unrighteous. And it would be easy to see how that bleeds over into all of his, uh, of his, uh, of his reign and of his administration. So that it's not a surprise to find that there are others who are in distress. Those are others who were suffering under probably oppressive and unrighteous debt. And some who were discontent over the leadership of the Lord's anointed longing for what God intended the king to be. And so they come to David, and they find here is a captain who rules justly. 
And just as he begins to, to speak the words, word of God as a prophet, David also begins to rule and to lead in a way that is reflective of what the man of God ought to be. It's not just preparation for the future. God had this in store for David already, but there is some preparation. Even in this low position, David remained a man after God's own heart. And he learned about leadership in the midst of his exile. It was a lesson that would equip him when God gave him further work to do as king of Israel. By way of application, then, let me, uh, let me point out or uh, exhort you to, to not despise the lessons of being humbled. Do not despise the lessons of being humbled. God is in whatever the trial that you are in. He's in it, and there is good that he has to do. Perhaps he has taken hold of you to root out a sin that has become deeply entrenched in your life, and you've become blind to it. Perhaps he is training you to rely on him rather than your own devices, to to reach out to him in trouble rather than to your own wisdom. Perhaps he's training you to, uh, uh, to develop a deeper faith that endures so that in times to come, the trouble that you face, you will have learned a pattern of humility and righteousness. God is at work in you now and is preparing you to serve him now and in the future. And this comes true in Psalm 34 as well. Verse 22 says, the very end of the psalm, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. This is David's conclusion to the psalm, that the Lord is my redeemer. I will trust in him. The fourth factor that I'll call your attention to is that David was renewed by obedience to the Lord's commands. This passage in 1 Samuel closes with Gad going to David, telling him, go up to Judah. Don't stay here in Moab. Don't stay in this stronghold. There's an implication there that maybe David thought that there was safety here. He was among some distant relatives. Remember, he's descended from Ruth, the Moabitess. And uh, the stronghold has has an implication of military protection. But that's not where God wanted him to be. God sent the prophet and said, go up from here. Go up to Judah. And when God told him to go, David went. He heard and he obeyed. That's refreshing to hear of a man who has been running in fear and seems to have given rein to that and even nurtured that fear. Instead, as God told him to go, he went, expressing that trust that he had. We're left wondering whether or not God had 
had spoken to David in a similar way earlier. He had gone to Samuel and Jonathan and Ahimelech. He had inquired of the Lord. But in those earlier chapters, we don't have any evidence of of God speaking to him by the prophet as, as is said here. Rather, we're left with the impression that, that David had God's promise that was given to him as his anointing. It was not that he was without the instructions of the Lord. He did have those things and should have been operating on what God had told him to do. And yet, in his fear, that had all become muddled. But now God comes and he speaks to him directly. And David responds. And part of the conclusion that comes in this turning point is that, is that God allowed this suffering to, to humble David. This too reminds me of the Apostle Paul crying out three times to be delivered and yet concluding God is enough, that Jesus is enough. I'm content in my weakness, says Paul. And even more than that, I glory in my weakness because that had deepened his faith and it testified that God is strong. David learned this too. There is a turning point here as God comes to him after humbling him. God speaks to him, and he obeys the word of God. You too have and will face all sorts of challenges and disappointments and sufferings and trials. But God is with you, and he's granted you a gift of faith not just so you would believe unto salvation, but so that you would believe and walk with him and obey him and follow him wherever he leads. Gordon Ketty, uh, in his commentary on this passage, says, walking by faith is the essence of discipleship, And it is inevitable that that faith will be tested. Walking by faith is part of discipleship. It's part of the Christian life. And it is inevitable that that faith will be tested. Ketty concludes, it is, however, precisely the trial of our faith that works patience and results in praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, the Lord uses our weakness. He uses our trials to produce faith, to strengthen our faith, to lead us into the works of patience and endurance that are to the praise, honor, and glory of God. In the midst of your trials, I pray that you would look to Christ, who is our Savior, 
pray that you would understand these aspects of David that will lead you to reflect on your trial in the context of his word so that it would produce faith. Reflect on your trial in the context of the counsel of trusted Christian friends and seek them out rather than isolating yourself. Reflect on the ways in which God has humbled you and do not despise the lessons of humility. And finally, find satisfaction and obedience in small things for the Lord is training you and cleansing you and reviving you and strengthening your faith so that you may serve him today and every day of your life. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, along with David, along with Paul, along with Peter, along with every believer, we confess that we we encounter so many different, really, really hard things in this life. And as we reflect back on them, Lord, I can see how I have neglected to turn to you and to seek your face and, and your direction, how my faith has been been weak. Instead, O oh Lord, I pray that you would be strengthening us day by day, that you would be training us in righteousness, and that even by the trials that we go through, that in our weakness, that your strength would be shown. Lord, we depend upon our Savior Jesus, who is our Redeemer. In his name we pray, amen. Throughout this sermon, I've been referring to Psalm 34, which was written in this occasion. So let's sing Psalm 34, Selection A, and then it will profess our faith and our trust in the Lord. Please stand to sing. 